Hello and welcome to Occupied Thoughts, a podcast brought to you by the Foundation for Middle East Peace. My name is Kristen McCarthy and I serve as the Director of Grants and Operations at FMEP. I am so lucky to be joined today by Feru Sharkawi, who is a Palestinian resident of East Jerusalem and also serves as the Executive Director of Grassroots Al-Quds. That is a hugely important organization working to preserve the historic and contemporary Palestinian presence in that city and, and organize. Um, so thank you, Fairuz, so much for taking the time to be here today. I know you're incredibly busy and stressed and all of it. Thank um, you for having me. Happy to be here. I'm honored. Um, okay, so to get us going, I, I just, I'm going to ask you to comment on the obvious. There was a ceasefire announced at the very end of last week um, between Hamas and Israel that stopped the aerial or the bombardment of Gaza. What has that ceasefire meant for Jerusalem? Well, in, in Jerusalem, what we are witnessing right now after the, the ceasefire is a huge amount of arrests. Uh, this is the backlash. I think that uh, now the occupation authorities everywhere in occupied uh, Palestine, not only in Jerusalem, also in uh, 1948 occupied lands, there are uh, uh, huge numbers of arrests. People, uh, and especially youth, are being arrested. So in Jerusalem, this is what we have been witnessing in the last few days. Not only the big number of arrests, but also the fact that the occupation authorities are uh, demanding uh, all the time the extension of these arrests. So what we are used to uh, is people being arrested in in a protest, for example, they would be usually detained for a few hours, maybe one night, and then they would be released after being taken to court. This time, the courts are extending the arrests, um, and uh, the, the occupation authorities are demanding uh, a long extensions. Uh, for example, uh, a few uh, people were arrested uh, last week on the big strike day, that was Tuesday, uh, during the, the protest in Damascus Gate, they have been uh, under arrest since then. And today the court extended this uh, uh, arrest until tomorrow. So we, we think that now the occupation authorities are trying to terrorize Palestinians and to teach Palestinians a lesson. So arresting massive uh, numbers of people, uh, demanding that the uh, arrests be longer. We expect also accusations to be more severe. So we'll see what happens. But I think that's part of the strategy and it's not unusual. After protests, after especially big uh, protests like last week and the fact that uh, uh, the protests got um, echoed a lot and uh, got a, a global uh, uh, exposure as well. I think that this was bad PR, just as it should be to the colonizers and the occupiers. And that's why right now there are these rep uh, repressions and uh, we'll see what happens. I think that um, they are trying to create an example of these people to others. And I think that this means on our side as Palestinians and solidarity movements with us, that we need to be there, stand there for these people who were arrested, not forget about them, protest in front of the court and make media noise over and over again uh, about what is happening right now after uh, the protests had taken place. You know, something I spoke about in a previous podcast with um, Salam Barahme is just the cost of protesting for Palestinians in Jerusalem, West Bank, Gaza. And this reminds me of that conversation that 
you know, Palestinians who are taking to the streets now in larger numbers, younger voices and faces, there's a lot that they put on the line. Um, have the threats of arrests been, wor- or not even threats, real arrests um, and repression and violence, is it working? Is it, are, are the protests in Jerusalem across West Bank in 48, is it dampening the, this moment? I, I expect that they do work with certain people, but I think that in general, no, they don't. And I think we need to look at a, a, a longer scale of time. Naturally, now the protests have calmed down. Uh, I think it has to do with many things and not only the huge number of arrests. Uh, I think that people are tired. I think that at the same time, people are still going to the streets. People are still organizing protests. And most importantly, colonization and occupation are still here. And there is a need for us to still be out in the streets. Right now, for example, in addition to Sheikh Jarrah and the threat of expulsion uh, that hovers around families in Sheikh Jarrah, on Wednesday this week, on the 26th of of, uh, uh, May, the Israeli occupation court is is supposed to have a hearing about the expulsion of families in Silwan. So the the policies continue, the displacement continues when it comes to Jerusalem Palestinians specifically, uh, the the occupation plans and the occupation policies uh, are not, uh, uh, they're, they're not gone, there is no ceasefire on the colonization of Palestine. The ceasefire is only uh, uh, about bombing Gaza and assaulting Gaza. Uh, so I, it's just a reminder to everyone that the struggle continues and that we still need to think and strategize and see how our protests and our community mobilization, it's not just demonstrations that we need to do here, uh, that they continue, that they continue strategically until we reach our goal, which is freedom and liberation. Awesome. On that, I um, I read a recent interview that you did with Dana Al-Kurd. It was published in Jewish Currents. I will put a link to it on this um, page on, on the FMEP website where I post this, this podcast. In it, you talk about a few Arabic terms, which I will butcher when I say out loud, but um, I thought it was so beautiful. And it really told, um, told me a new story, a new insight about what Palestinian mobilization looks like right now. Um, those terms are Faza and Auna. And you yes. also mentioned the, the Arabic term for prisoners. Can you explain to us what these terms mean and what it, what it, the story that you were trying to tell about Palestinian mobilization in this moment? Yes, uh, it was a personal uh, comment. Uh, it started as a personal comment that I, I was thinking of certain terms as I was watching what my people are doing. Uh, since the, 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 the uprising, let's just give it a big name, since the uprising started uh, this time, and it was a general Palestinian uprising. Palestinians were out in the streets protesting and resisting occupation in all different parts of occupied Palestine. And it was a great scene to watch. Uh, I felt uh, filled with pride. Uh, and I was thinking about certain terms reflecting certain uh, um, traditions that we have in Palestine. So Aone comes from the root of to help. Uh, so Aone is mutual aid, is when people, for example, uh, when it's the time to harvest olives and certain families are small in number, but they have a huge number of olive trees, they cannot harvest their olives alone. So people from the community, the village or the, the, the neighborhood would come and help. 
And we call this Oni, when a group of people from the community comes to help a certain individual or family in order to do a certain job. Faz'a is more connected to emergencies. So Faz'a is the same thing. When a group of community members come to the help of or the rescue of a certain member or group uh, of community members. So I was thinking about these terms as I was watching how my people were organizing First, as, as, a, as one example, when Zionist uh, uh, people were attacking, when settlers were attacking Palestinians in, in cities like Lid or Haifa uh, or Akka or Yafa, there suddenly were uh, um, committees, protection committees or defense committees. That, that's a group of people organizing in order to take shifts and protect a certain neighborhood from attacks. This is Faz'a. This is exactly what we mean by Faz'a. Uh, uh, and uh, the other example was when um, there is a need for people. Uh, I mean, also what's happening around Sheikh Jarrah is Faz'a. When people come to stand with the families in Sheikh Jarrah against the expulsion of these families from their homes, that is also Faz'a. And when people join hands and when we see, for example, uh, lawyers organizing together in order to follow up on the arrested uh, people arrested what's happening there um, that they have legal representation that they are not forgotten that they are not lost because you know another thing another like little thing a detail of this occupation is the fact that people can be arrested for hours with, before anyone discovers where they are, where they have been taken, their names. And so we see how Palestinians are keeping certain traditions and now using them in terms of community mobilizing and community uh, organizing. Um, the other term I was talking about is Asra. And now we, in, in Arabic, we do not call Palestinian prisoners simply prisoners as in criminal prisoners. These are war captives. And that's exactly why we use the term Asir, the plural is Asra, to describe Palestinian prisoners in Israeli jails to, to differentiate between criminals and Palestinians who are there for political reasons. These are political prisoners. And so it's not enough simply to call them prisoners. We need to call them as they are political prisoners. They are in jail because they are political, because they are resisting, because they are organizing. And so terminology is very important. And I think that during the last week, um, two weeks almost, what we have been witnessing is clarity about certain terms. And I think that is something wonderful that we need to reinforce. For example, it is a settler colonialist project in Palestine. This is not merely a conflict. So we Palestinians need to, to explain all the time, especially to media, that this is not a case of a conflict. A conflict implies that there are two entities equal or competing in power, that they have almost equal means and power, and that they are fighting over something, in this case, land. This, first of all, is a mis misinterpretation of the situation on the ground. Palestine is not a country. Palestine is not nearly as rich or supported diplomatically or financially as Israel. Uh, Israel is a state. It is acknowledged and recognized as a state. It has diplomatic relations that protect it and protect its colonization of Palestine all the time. And it has corporations and governments funding its settler colonialist project in Palestine. So treating this only as a conflict, first of all, is 
factually wrong when we describe what's happening on the ground, but also it implies a certain uh, uh, way of addressing the problem by the public around the world. When you look at it as a conflict, then you are supposed to be neutral and objective about it. You are supposed to not take sides. And, and when it's a conflict, it's somebody else's problem. But when we say this is a settler colonialism or a settler colonialist project in Palestine, then this means that people who believe in justice and freedom have a moral responsibility to support the Palestinian struggle to end the occupation and to end the colonization of Palestine. So I think that it's very important that we insist on certain terms as Palestinians when we describe our reality and what we face, because then it also entails certain steps that can be taken or should be taken if we want to support the Palestinian struggle. Thank you. Thank you for your clarity on, on the language point and specifically on the conflict versus settler colonialism point. I think, you know, that's that's something that's been emphasized by a lot of Palestinians in this moment. And I think it's really important for so many reasons, but also because it helps us be able to, to have a framework to understand what's happening in Sheikh Jarrah and Gaza and Umar Fahm and the Bedouin and the Negev all together instead of these fragmented stories. Um, so thank you for that. And I actually want to dig in on that. I know um, last week you had the misfortune to have to attend a, a funeral in Umar Fahim for a 17-year-old Palestinian citizen of Israel, Mohammed Kawan, who was shot while peacefully protesting um, on May 12th, and he subsequently died of those injuries. He was shot by Israeli forces. Um, can you, and you're also from Umar Fahim, so this is I assume very deeply personal. Can you tell us about Muhammad um, and what happened to him, the story of his funeral and, and anything you'd like to share with us about your, your, where you come from, where your family is from? Yes, thank you. Uh, well, first of all, uh, I think that also when we talk about settler colonialism, it also reflects why all of these Palestinians were out in the streets uh, during the last two weeks. Uh, this is not just, people were not just protesting the assault on Gaza. People were protesting and were resisting the occupation of their own lands and disempowerment of their communities. And so was the case in Emil Fahim, when Palestinians in Emil Fahim went out in protest against settler colonialist uh, policies applied against Palestinians in 48 occupied lands. And so, uh, um, and by the way, Muhammad Kiwan, he was shot in the back of the head sitting in his car. So not even while peacefully protesting. This is not to say that peacefully protesting is a justified reason why you would be shot dead by special forces. At the same time, this is even worse because the guy was not even part of a protest. The guy was sitting in his car and the fact that he was shot in the back of his head simply says that the guy was murdered in cold blood. And this is also not a unique story. So many Muhammad Kiwans in the Palestinian history, so many Palestinians being shot, uh, uh, dead, being murdered by Israeli snipers everywhere in Palestine. I mean, look at the injuries that we have from the last two weeks. You have so, we have so many people injured with rubber coated bullets in the face, people losing eyes and people with broken jaws. This is because the sniper actually aims at your face. So this says a lot about what does it mean in our daily lives to be under uh, colonization and occupation. Now, Muhammad Kiwan was uh, uh, um, martyred and uh, it's, it's, um, and his 
funeral took place on, on Thursday, as you said, and tens of thousands of Palestinians attended this funeral. It was not only Palestinians from Umm al-Fahim. It was not just the people from his hometown. So many Palestinians came from all over 48 occupied lands, as well as Jerusalem, because this is our way to say that this shaheed, speaking of terminology, this martyr is our martyr, is everyone's martyr. He's not just Umm al-Fahim's martyr. We, we see him as one of the people who died in our struggle for freedom and liberation and so he it was amazing to see how people in the west bank for example because they couldn't make it to the funeral because of checkpoints and the wall and they cannot access in milfahim they were simply just posting on social media and saying if you can make it you have to go we wish we could go so i think that uh, muhammad's uh, funeral reflected the fact that we Palestinians all over Palestine see this as one struggle. We see ourselves as one people under one colonization with one struggle for liberty and self-determination. And that is why this amazing, uh, I'm sorry, I'm saying this within this context, but it was amazing to see how many people were in the streets, not only saying goodbye to Muhammad, but also stating that we are here and that we will continue the struggle even if we lose people on the way. Awesome, thank you so much for sharing that. I know it's, I mean, there's just been so much loss <laughs> um, yes. recently. Um, part of that ongoing struggle for Palestinian liberation is grassroots all could. So I wanna ask you to brag on your own organization <laughs> here as we close. Um, grassroots all could has long been just a source of clarity I mean, fascination for me as Palestinians, um, as you organize Palestinians there to tell their own story, to preserve their history, to present, um, to present what living under occupation in Jerusalem means for Palestinians. So can you tell us about your work? Tell us what you have going on now, if you have time to work at all <laughs> amidst all of these interviews and, and protests. Um, and just help us understand, I mean, on, on the face of it, it seems ridiculous that Palestinians need to fight to be able to tell their history, um, but that's what you're doing. So why, how do you see your work within this, um, this struggle? To be honest, on a very selfish way, in a very selfish way, I have to say that uh, these, the happenings of the last few days or two weeks has uh, uh, even made us more conf confident uh, uh, in our work and in, in the right path that we have chosen as an organization. Because what we, what, what we believe should happen right now in Palestine is community organizing, is community mobilization, is us reinforcing again those traditions and those networks that naturally and organically exist in our community. We believe in community self-sufficiency and self-sustainability as a way for us to lead our struggle. And this is exactly what Grassroots Al-Quds does. What we do is first of all, learn and teach about Jerusalem. So we research the city, we research the history of the Palestinian people in Jerusalem, the history of the, the city, as well as the current reality, what are people facing, what's the political reality that they are living in, in Jerusalem under Israeli occupation, because we believe that this knowledge is a crucial tool for proper community mobilization and organizing, so that our community would use this knowledge as a tool to mobilize, to network, and to strategize long-term, because our goal is to contribute to the creation of Palestinian long-term strategies for Jerusalem. 
And so we use this in order to uh, uh, support uh, community uh, initiatives and grassroots initiatives in Jerusalem. Uh, in the last few years, we have been focusing on community initiatives uh, that have to do with tourism and economic development, uh, because we think that answers two main needs that Palestinians have in Jerusalem. The first one is to tell our story. Telling the Palestinian perspective on Jerusalem is very important. And as you were saying, it has become come clearly so crucial in the last uh, few weeks. And um, at the same time, also not only telling the Jerusalem story, but also drawing the movement of tourists and, and uh, uh, visitors to our communities, because this helps uh, the economic development of our communities and the economic sustainability of our communities. We believe that we need to build self-sustainability and self-sufficiency within our communities, because right now being having our economy being captive within the Israeli economy, and that is again a, a natural way of, of, of uh, colonization, of suffocating the Palestinian economy, making it captive, a prisoner within the Israeli economy. We think that once we promote self-sustainability and self-sufficiency, our communities are not trapped anymore and they can actually more uh, uh, healthily, I would say, develop and sustain themselves. Uh, and so we support sumud, another term in Arabic, resilience or steadfastness, by supporting grassroots initiatives focusing on tourism and economic development, especially in Jerusalem. Um, and globally, we tell the story, and this is what we have been doing uh, more uh, critically in the last uh, uh, developments in Jerusalem, insisting on certain terminology, insisting on the right framing of the context, um, and we think that's the beginning uh, or that's a needed uh, tool globally for us to grow the solidarity that we have witnessed uh, being so massive uh, around the world. I think that it is also our uh, responsibility as Palestinian organizers to build connections with grassroots initiatives and movements for freedom around the world so that we can back each other up and support each other's struggles. Awesome. And <clears throat> along with the link to that interview I mentioned earlier, I will also be posting links to the Grassroots All Coulds website. You can buy Wujud, a beautiful book of the history of, or of Jerusalem from the Palestinian perspective. You can go on a tour of East Jerusalem with Grassroots All Coulds if and when travel ever is an option for us again. Um, and of course, to donate. As well. And it is available online as well. Excellent. So oh, great. Yes. <laughs> So all of those links will be along with this podcast, urge every single listener to, to support Grassroots All Coulds, their people and their organization as they move their mission forward. Um, Farouz, last question for you as we close. What does a free Palestine mean to you? Uh, a free Palestine? Uh, <laughs> well, first of all, I think just a reminder to everyone, a free Palestine has to include refugees returning. Any solution that is marketed as a solution to this uh, uh, situation here that does not include the, ref the return of the refugees would not hold and would not be acceptable on the Palestinian people. So a free Palestine is a Palestine where people from Akka can live in Akka uh, again, when people from uh, 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 Haifa and people from Imm al-Fahim and people from places 
refugees can return to Palestine. A free Palestine is a Palestine where we Palestinians can enjoy all of our homelands. Yeah, I think that it's not fair to expect Palestinians to give up on half of their homeland. Uh, I think that there are ways to think of the political solution under which this will happen. But I think that we Palestinians should not shy away from stating that we want freedom and freedom cannot be divided. And, and, and uh, a free Palestine means that we enjoy total freedom, not the freedom or the portions of freedom that international community would recognize and acknowledge that we have the right to. So I think true freedom, true peace, uh, 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 that's how I envision a, a, a free Palestine, uh, where people can uh, uh, practice existing and grow and 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 uh, uh, be uh, and flourish in their own uh, homeland. That's how I imagine uh, a free Palestine. Simple yet so beautiful and aspirational. So, Feiruz, thank you so much for your time and energy today. It's it's always an honor to hear you to hear you speak. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Make sure to check out the FMEP website after this for all of the links that I mentioned or go directly to the Grassroots All Could website as you explore more of their resources. Um, FMEP plans to continue bringing you these short conversations with leaders from Palestine and Israel as the current crisis continues to unfold. It's not over just because there's a ceasefire as Beirut's made it abundantly clear. So please make sure you're subscribed to the podcast to stay up to date. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, everywhere. Um, and with that, I am Kristen McCarthy signing off for now. Take care and thanks so much again, Beirut, for your time. Thank you. Have a good day. Mm-hmm.